Hello, I'm Rachel King, Associate Editor at Central Banking, and this is CB on Air. We're taking a slight deviation from our podcast today in what will be a two-part series looking at how central banks should navigate the evolving payment landscape. Thankfully, we have two experts on hand to discuss some of the emerging themes and challenges. Joining me today is Craig Ramsey, Head of Real-Time Payments at ACI Worldwide, and George Evers, Senior Vice President of MasterCard. Thank you both very much for joining me today. Thank you, Thanks, Rachel. Rachel. Great to be here. So both your companies um, provide services to numerous central banks around the world. And at the end of last year, you announced you'd be collaborating to provide a range of real-time payment solutions. So to kick things off, George, I'm going to turn to you. When implementing new payment infrastructure, what aims should central banks have? Uh, Rachel, th thanks. That's a good question. I, I think there are there's typically not always one, but what we see, depending on you know the current situation of a, a country, one might be a greater driver. But really, the there's a whole range of uh, drivers for this uh, for these changes. So often um, driving financial inclusion, so wanting to increase use of uh, uh, the account bank accounting platforms, and also making sure that you know real time payments, especially. Uh, uh, provide a viable alternative to cash. Um, innovation is often stated in terms of responding to, you know, technology innovations. The fact that, you know, in, in many countries around the world, you know, most citizens are walking around with a smartphone in their hand uh, and are used to operating in the real time, uh, always on environment uh, for other parts of their life. Payment systems need to catch up. Um, resilience can be a driver in terms of, you know, systems either being uh, aging, uh, or in, in a couple of countries, so in, in India, for example, which has seen explosive growth on digital payments, there is now a process uh, underway with the central bank uh, uh, looking to implement more payment systems, so to add to the payment system they've already got, and the primary driver of that is around uh, resilience and scale and providing more capacity to the market as well. Um, there is also a kind of a, a, often an, an efficiency gain, so that what I mean by that is you know, in most systems, there will be typically, you know, a, a batch payment system, maybe a high value payment system as well. Um, and the government, you know, wants to modernize, uh, modernize that and implement something that works real time, is available and always on. Um, and of course, on that innovation uh, side of things, there is, you know, the adoption of new standards such as ISO 222 um, and all of the benefits that can be driven from that, for, primarily for government uh, and business users around B2B payment flows as well. Um, but one, I think, factor that, that, that is, is always there in a couple of projects, so specifically Thailand, for example, uh, was a, a goal to target and reduce the use of cash. Um, so in Thailand, you know, had about kind of 90% plus use of cash for all transactions um, with the implementation of their prompt pay service uh, uh, in about four years ago now. Um, you've seen a, a big reduction in the amount of cash and, you know, growth of transactions up at around almost 5 billion it'll be for this year in terms of real-time payments. So a huge migration of cash uh, and paper-based transactions onto that real-time platform as well. Um, and that's good for the economy overall. So we have in Thailand a huge uh, and growing uh, layer of what they call micro-merchants. So these are small businesses and individuals who are able to operate digital businesses now as a result of that innovation. So a real broad range of drivers for uh, for central banks. So I guess depending on what the driver is, whether that be financial inclusion, resilience, as you've mentioned, um, a decline in cash usage, there are a number of things that central banks should consider. So Craig, when, when planning for new payment schemes, what should central banks think about in terms of access, rules and standards? 
Thanks, Rachel. Uh, another great question and really to layer on what George has said, I think one of the most important things a central bank needs to consider is how do they make access to this new service as easy as possible? How do they get people to use it? So, you know, you have to think about various considerations there. So firstly, what's new? What's different? Why, why are they adding this new service in the first place? Does it improve uh, customer experience? Does it reduce cost? Does it uh, improve financial inclusion? They have to think about why they're doing it and then what is going to motivate uh, participants, whether they're banks, financial institutions, fintechs, to actually use it. So what's new? What's it replacing? Um, when we're, we're very good as a payments industry of introducing new innovations into the payments ecosystem, actually not very good at shutting old things down. So is there an opportunity to replace something uh, with this new scheme? Be bold, think about what we can replace. Could it replace checks? Can it replace use of cash in certain instances where the government, the central bank is motivated to remove cash from those from that particular uh, use case. And then in terms of the technical considerations, uh, there's a whole broad range of technical considerations about making access to the, the new scheme, the new service as simple as possible. And, and that's one of the reasons why ACI and MasterCard collaborate is to bring that a uh, global experience of where we've done it elsewhere around the world. George mentioned prompt pay in Thailand, there, there's others around the world that we can point to, but that experience of how we've driven the ubiquity of the new service and how we've managed new scheme rules. It's not just about technical standards. Anyone can say, oh yes, it should be ISO 20022, but how do you use that particular standard for the benefit of the scheme to drive the service inclusion? all very well coming up with a new real-time scheme, a new payment scheme, but unless people actually end up using it, then you're wasting your time and money. So with that in mind, do you think central banks should be responsible for operating a new payment infrastructure? Obviously, you've said they need to be bold, they need to communicate, they need to find incentives to get people to use the system. And George, I, I guess they've they've operated from this standpoint in the sense of financial stability in the past. They like to have their hands on the wheel. But as we move into this new digital age, is it still um, relevant for central banks to be responsible for operating this new payment infrastructure? Um, I think they, they, they can play that role. Um, and I think if we think, you know, historically often central banks, um, you know, have been operating, you know, the high value payment systems, which are used typically to move, you know, that kind of that central bank money between participants and from participants into their central bank accounts that then um, underpins, you know, potentially a commercially run and operated ACH. So I, I, I don't think it's always necessary for them to be the operator of these systems, but they certainly play an important role in, in other aspects as well. So I think in terms of setting overall direction, uh, you know, for the country, that's often needed and often helpful for the financial institutions, because that direction set becomes something that actually gets done uh, by the banks that becomes less optional. It's always very helpful in terms of setting timeframes for innovation. Um, and I do see, you know, in, in some markets, really, really effective collaboration between the private sector um, and governments as well. So I think you always have to 
kind of choose your attitude in terms of how you respond to central bank uh, uh, direction of travel. But I think for payment system innovation, it's typically been quite good if the advantage, of, if the opportunity has been grasped by the private sector rather than, and we do see instances there, so rather than kind of minimal compliance, it's like, okay, payment modernization is a big deal. It's a big lift for the participants for the market that can, can drive huge changes. So I think there's no doubt the central banks play a really important role. Um, I don't think they always have to be the operator of the system. Um, the role they can play in terms of setting direction, setting consistency, thinking about things that are going to be useful for the, uh, for the country overall in terms of you know access to those payment systems, you know, to a degree, some of the design considerations. So what should those payment systems do? Thinking about safety and security and the importance of that uh, and the importance of making sure that the institutions that build and operate them are aware of those things as well is important. Uh, but also, and, and probably less a, a central bank consideration, but certainly a government consideration, is recognizing that you know the government is normally kind of you know the organization that pays the most people and collects money from the most people as well so thinking about that role and again you know i talked about kind of prompt pay in thailand you know one of the uh, things that's worked brilliantly for that system is uh, the government decided that actually a really you know part of the design is a very powerful proxy service or an alias service as we call it so you know you can have your national id attached to your bank account your phone number email address etc small biller id so there are multiple ways that you can connect uh, an identifier to your to your account but that national id piece was uh, part of the design for the government and that allowed them to uh, distribute uh, government funds uh, it allowed them to incentivize citizens to register a bank account with their government id uh, and in the future it will enable them to uh, also try and collect money from those citizens as well using the request to pay message as well so there's a combination of things there what i would say is that you know if payment system kind of take off and expansion is not just building the technology um, and therefore having a group of you know motivated institutions and organizations who are talking to and dealing with customers around their payments needs day in day out and um, that is something that the private sector does bring um, in terms of continued drive of innovation, getting behind the platform, et cetera. Um, and that's something that's harder for a central bank to do. So uh, they can definitely operate the system from a technical perspective, but can they promote it, innovate on it, uh, encourage consumers and businesses to use that system as well? Um, and therefore, I think kind of a mix of kind of cooperation between uh, central banks, uh, regulators, government and the private sector uh, can work very well. So if it's not essential for central banks to perhaps have both hands on the wheel, then do you think there's the argument that mandates could be granted to providers to some extent then? Yeah, certainly. I mean, as I said, you know, so there are uh, some markets where the central bank, um, you know, provides a sort of a, a little bit of a kind of a, a push to the industry in terms of we think you guys should be doing this. And with that comes... Uh, you know, the need, you know, certainly in the UK, a response back from uh, the uh, primarily financial institutions as to how they're going to respond to that direction of travel um, and, uh, you know, and a plan to comply with it without the need for direct regulation. Um, and there are other markets, uh, you know, I, I touched on um, uh, India, where the central bank is actively going to be granting more licenses uh, to the private sector. Um, to allow um, you know more more capacity to be brought into the market 
Um, and then you see uh, somewhere like the US with the clearinghouse. So that was, you know, the the private sector decided, you know, quite some time ago, you know, five, six years ago, that they needed to upgrade and deliver and put real-time payment system uh, in the US. And they've done that. That's been live for about four years. And there was no regulator mandate to do that. Uh, and the Fed is now, which is a system operator at the moment in the US, uh, it's probably it's going to be one of the few markets where there may be two real-time systems in place, India being another one. Um, so there you see the regulator actually catching up with the private sector. Um, and I think, you know, what, what is clear is when the private sector just does it on its own, um, there is, a, I think, probably a, a slower take up in terms of adoption of that new system. But what is, I think, really um, uh, significant about the clearinghouse system is how much thought has gone into the design of that system to deliver value to businesses, uh, primarily and consumers, and also government in terms of how can that system be used to you know, pay more efficiently, but also to collect money more efficiently and manage payment processes more efficiently, safely and securely for for uh, you know businesses and consumers uh, around the U.S. So I think what you'll get is a hugely uh, capable and value-driven platform, but it might take a while longer to get all of that growth onto it. Craig, I don't know whether you have anything to add around how central banks should approach this private public sector collaboration that seems to be so vitally needed. Yeah, there's there's a slightly I have a slightly different uh, view on how central banks need to think about the scheme, the new payment scheme. Um, I think there's three levels that you need to look at. At the bottom level is the settlement itself, the actual pool of liquidity that enables the participants to exchange transactions and be assured that the payment's going to happen, the settlement layer itself. And I absolutely think that uh, central banks need to, if not provide that directly, provide very strong governance around that and almost provide that at a, uh, a central level. So there's one pool of liquidity. The layer above that is the clearing level. And that's where we quite often um, try to merge it with clearing and settlement and try and do the two things together. It's not actually necessary to do the two things together. If you've got that central, if you've got that common settlement layer, you can have multiple clearing platforms leveraging that settlement layer. And that's where private sector can very easily provide different clearing uh, infrastructure, uh, networking to take place uh, between their participants um, all using still the common settlement layer. And then above the clearing layer, so settlement at the bottom, clearing on top of it, and then at the very top is the actual ecosystem of the users, the participants, the fintechs, uh, the, the banks, etc., all using the different clearing systems um, that then use the common settlement layer. Now, at the uh, top layer, the if you like, the overlay service provision, um, the products and services that actually uh, are offered to consumers, customers to leverage the clearing and then the settlement. Uh, that top layer needs to be as easy to access into the different clearing networks as possible. So we encourage use of open banking. We encourage use of APIs to connect to it. And we encourage the use of as many participants as possible. So open up the clearing networks 
beyond just the banks and the financial institutions. Open it up to fintech. Open it up to big tech if, if that's what your consumers want to use in order to access the real-time clearing and settlement services. So I think that's that's where central banks need to look at how they approach their their schemes is at the three different layers, the settlement at the bottom, clearing on top of it where there can be multiple, the one-to-many relationship, and then on top of that, the one-to-many again in the, the actual um, participant layer. So you've touched on a number of things that we're actually going to discuss in, in the next episode around sort of driving usage, adoption, um, access, participation and, and value added services. Um, so there's lots to discuss. Um, I wanted to thank you both for providing um, initial insight into how central banks are approaching payment infrastructure. And I look forward to, to continuing this discussion soon. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you, Rachel.